0: Runoff, a crime novel about election fraud, evokes a curious timelessness of classic detective fiction. A noir gym, says Mystery Scene Magazine. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 33, Return of the Dragon. The polls never opened for the runoff election the next morning. After Chris and I got done talking, city officials finally accepted that the one in November had been rigged. They invalidated the results and scheduled it to be held again using the old paper ballot system in January. Fourteenth in Mission, I Dare You was the text message I had sent Red from the car in front of the construction site. He got clean away, and no one thought to ask me how he happened to be there at just the right time. Maybe text messaging wasn't quite the Valley Girl game I'd taken it to be. Chris and I got thrown in the slammer. Chris got out the next day, but I ended up with a bail amount I had no hope of scratching together. It took three weeks of Mark Ritchie's time and $24,000 in fees to get me out. The murder charges against me were dropped when Chris located an adult toy store on Valencia Street, where Diego bought the strap-on found at August Alley. The female clerk remembered Diego because his response to the question about whether the item was for personal use or should be gift-wrapped was, Just put it in a bag, dyke. Likewise, the evidence clerk at the South San Francisco police station admitted that he had been bribed by Diego to release my gun and forge my signature, badly, on the locker release form. The remaining charges of resisting arrest and criminal flight were dropped when Richie pointed out how much worse I could make things for the city by talking to the newspapers. That was no empty threat either. There wasn't a day I spent in jail that the media didn't try to interview me. The threat of going public also carried the day for Chris and the charges against him of accessory to murder. The dragon lady and Lisa came back to town soon after Wu's death hit the papers, and Lisa and Chris were frequent visitors while I was incarcerated. Lisa filled me in on how she and her mother had avoided capture by Wu and regaled me with details of their subsequent adventures in Paris which mainly seemed to involve shopping. Chris kept me appraised of the forensic audit the city was performing on the November election and all the processes, systems, and software involved. It seemed his friend from the engineering staff of the now-bankrupt Columbia Voting Technologies had been hired as part of the audit team. Exactly what sort of friend is he? I asked. Oh, let's just put it this way. I get most of the scoop horizontal. I covered the speaker dingus in the plexiglass wall that separated us. Too much information. The day I got out, Lisa met me at the intake and release facility on 7th Street with Mylar balloons and champagne. Ready for your next session on the yoga mat, big boy? Lisa whispered in my ear after planting a wet one on my lips. She was wearing a pencil skirt and a black satin top with a keyhole cutaway. The view was breathtaking. That's almost all I've been thinking of. She made a face. Only almost? Well, there were a few other little things, like not spending the rest of my life in jail and figuring out how to pay my shyster lawyer. Don't worry about that. My mother's already got it covered. She wants you to come by her office so she can thank you and pay you your bonus, which she says you've more than earned. She has a point there. Tell her I'll be there later this afternoon, after I get my shoes polished. She laughed. Excellent! I've got a big evening planned for us after that. But it turned out I didn't have time for my shoes. I went instead to visit Gretchen at her apartment in Cow Hollow. She had been released from the hospital the week before, and while still a little wobbly, was up and about and making good progress in physical therapy. We sat at her kitchen table and talked about old times, not straying into her shooting or the case until the very end. After I passed out on my desk, she said, Chris told me you threatened to kill this Wu character and all of his family. I did. I won't thank you for that or for killing Wu, but thank you for caring enough to want to do it. Are you coming back to the office? I don't know, August. Moisture welled at the corner of her eyes. It has nothing to do with my being afraid, or what Dennis says. It has to do with you. If you mean all the violence, I don't mean that, although I can't help but be shocked by it. I mean that you don't seem to realize you're being used. I don't understand. I've said more than I have any right to say, and I'm tired. She reached her hands across the table to take mine. Come back and see me in a few days, will you? I had taken a cab to Gretchen's apartment, and now I walked up Union over the hill to North Beach, and then down Columbus and across to Grant in Chinatown. It was two miles at least, and it gave me a lot of time to think. Once on to Grant, I pointed myself towards the dragon lady's office, but stopped along the way at Chow's back-scratcher emporium. We talked for a while, and I left with one of his new bumper stickers. It read, Change and Chow, they go together. The violin player was not at his usual place outside the dragon lady's building. I assumed the incident with the cleavers had put him off his feed, but the red phone had been repaired, and Lisa was quick to answer and open the private elevator for the short ride to the penthouse. She beamed at me from behind the reception desk when I stepped out. The furniture had all been resettled, the mangled carpet and the smashed vases replaced, and a spray of white orchids set at her elbow. The sun was working hard to break free from a bank of puffy clouds, and filtered light came through the floor-to-ceiling windows, filling the room with a soft, diffuse glow. It seemed about as far as you could get from the fluorescent-lit concrete-and-stainless-steel bunker, I'd been living in for the past few weeks. Go on in, said Lisa. She's waiting for you, but don't be too long. We're having drinks at the Redwood Room and then dinner at Fleur de Lis. I assumed we were going straight to the yoga mat, she giggled. First things first. I winked at her and then went up to the Dragon Lady's office door and knocked. I heard something I hoped was enter and opened the door. She was sitting ramrod straight behind her Napoleon's tomb of a desk, wearing a tailored suit and enough jade to choke a real dragon, just like the first time I visited. The bookshelf had been righted, the other furniture had been replaced, and the divots in the desk had been filled without any telltale marks. She gave me one of her fang-bearing smiles. Congratulations, Mr. Reardon, she said. You have accomplished everything, I asked. And more. That envelope is for you. I pulled up a chair across from her and reached for the envelope at the edge of the desk. It wasn't fat, like the one Calder had proffered, but it packed a heftier punch. Inside was a cashier's check for $35,000. I set it on my lap. I understand you picked up my legal expenses as well. All of this is much more than we agreed. As I said... You also did more than we agreed, but I would like to hear your explanation of exactly what happened. The city hasn't released any information, and the media has been useless, my paper included. There's been nothing but a jumble of confusing, contradictory speculations. Some people, like Ralph Wood and Arthur Calder, seem to be running scared, but I don't understand why. So you're asking me what I know? She frowned at me. Yes, isn't that what I just said? Does that surprise you? Not at all. If I were you, I'd want the same thing. And it is a complicated business. I learned that electronic voting machines, or more accurately, electronic voting systems and processes are vulnerable at many points. When the software is being developed and installed... At the precinct, when the votes are cast, when the USB drives are collected from the machines, at election headquarters, where the votes are tallied, all of those places. Yes, yes, I know all of that. Well, the mistake I made was to assume that only one vulnerability was exploited, and that only one person, or several people working together with the same goal, were involved. It turns out there were a lot of fingers in the pie and they were all groping for the plum from different directions. For instance, the chief engineer at CVT, Guyberger, built a sort of trapdoor into the touchscreen software, allowing him to control the candidate who received the most votes on any particular machine. Calder bribed him to ensure that Loudon won the election hands down, without requiring a runoff with Padilla or Chow. But that didn't happen. No, it didn't, and I'm sure Calder didn't pay Guyberger what he was promised, which, coupled with the nasty divorce he had just been through, probably led to him going postal at CBT after they failed to settle his stock grievance. He didn't get the stock, and he didn't get the money from Calder. The dragon lady reached up to finger one of her clip earrings. Irritated, she pulled it off. Yes, but why didn't it happen? Did the change Guyberger made fail to work the way he planned? No, it worked perfectly. The problem, for Guyberger at least, was that the vulnerability he selected was upstream in the election process. He picked the first place you could tamper with the system, at the voting machine. But it turned out that the Green Party had somebody who picked the last place you could tamper with the process, at the elections department on the election management system. That was Raymond Fitch, a.k.a. Roadrunner, the kid who died in the car at the construction site with Diego Beretta. They were both working for Wood to fix the election for Padilla. Well, maybe working isn't quite the way to phrase it in Roadrunner's case. I think he alone of all the would-be conspirators did it for his beliefs. Anyway, during the November election, he hacked into a wireless network at City Hall and accessed the voting database. Then he simply typed in the vote counts he wanted for each of the precincts, overriding whatever was already recorded. He intended to do the same thing for the runoff election, giving the victory to Padilla. There was a mention in the paper that this Roadrunner person had a paper audit trail from one of the voting machines. What was he doing with that? Nothing, as it turned out. He had made up a set of dummy audit trails that matched the results he had entered in the election management system. I think he hoped to replace the originals to make his hack more difficult to detect, but he couldn't get access, even though he worked in an adjacent office in City Hall. While the electronic security for the election was bad, the physical security was not. All the materials from the precincts are kept in a locked room. The dragon lady rolled her earring around in her palm seemingly deep in thought. Other questions, I asked. No, I... I held up the envelope and sided down the edge of it. I can think of one question you might have. Who killed Elections Director Bowman? Well, yes, you haven't explained. Another might be where does Wu come into all of this? Although maybe you already have a handle on that, seeing how you left the country to avoid him. The dragon lady clenched the earring in her hand and sat up even straighter in her chair, if that was possible. She said nothing. I myself never found any evidence of his involvement in the election, I continued in a breezy tone, but my associate has a pipeline into the forensic audit they're doing at City Hall. They found that the votes recorded on the USB drives collected from the individual machines at the precincts often did not match the precinct totals in the election management database. That's hardly a newsflash. Given what I told you about Geiberger and Roadrunner, you'd expect the drives would show more votes for Loudon, and the database would show more for Padilla. The interesting bit was there were more votes for Chow on the USB drives. In fact, when they reloaded the database with the drives from all the precincts, they found that Chow and Loudon were neck and neck which would have forced a runoff election between them, not between Loudon and Padilla. I gave her what I imagine was a sort of awe shuck smile. It's pretty confusing, isn't it? What that means is somewhere between the time the USB drives were collected at the precincts and the data from them was loaded into the election management system, the drives were either replaced or the numbers on them were changed. The only way that could happen was if there was a third group working to fix the election in Chow's favor, but since Roadrunner got in last taps with his changes, Padilla still got into the runoff, not Chow. And you're suggesting that this was Wu's doing? Undoubtedly. But to effect changes that late in the process, and on such a scale, he would need to suborn someone high in the elections department, And that was almost certainly Elections Director Bowman. The auditors got access to Bowman's bank records and found a deposit of $150,000 several months before the election. That was probably the down payment. But you can imagine Wu's chagrin when the election results were announced. After making that investment of $150,000, his candidate loses. Based on what I know about Wu, he probably didn't take that lying down. He probably thought he'd been double-crossed by Bowman and had him killed. Poor Bowman. He knew somebody else had finagled the results, but he couldn't afford to launch an investigation, or he'd risk exposing his own scam. I fanned myself with the envelope and looked across the desk expectantly. The dragon lady sighed. Your veiled references to my relationship with Wu and the affected manner you've assumed since you walked in here hasn't escaped my attention, Mr. Reardon. Just where are you going with this? I've been groping to figure out what the conflict between you and Wu was since the beginning. Chow suggested that maybe you had some business disagreement and your daughter seemed to confirm that when she told me you were in a real estate transaction with him where he felt he was still owed money. Wu himself hinted at something along those lines, although the first time I talked with him, he suggested things between you had been smoothed over. What I can't help but wonder now is if the business transaction under dispute was fixing the election for Chow. Wu didn't deliver his promise, so you didn't pay. Wu tried to kidnap Lisa as leverage to get the money, so you mollified him with a partial payment or at least a promise of one. Then you were friends again. But either you didn't come through with the promised money, or you crossed or threatened him in some other way, and it was all-out war again. Stop it! She shouted and slapped the desk. Stop it right now! Sorry, I'm such a motor mouth. But I'm curious. How much does it cost to fix an election? I imagine if you made a deal with someone like Wu... It must run into the millions, especially when you've got to pay off election directors with hundreds of thousands of dollars. I spoke with Chow today, and he told me an interesting thing. With all the shenanigans in the November election, he decided to get smarter about special interests and did a little research into the companies that filed to develop Hunter's Point. He found one called Basis Construction that he didn't recognize, but chasing a paper trail that led to Hong Kong and back He linked it to you. I guess a few million to have your candidate elected mayor to approve your company's bid for a billion-dollar opportunity is chump change. I don't think Chow is going to be quite as loyal to you as he was in the past, though. You know, now that Wu isn't around to threaten him with letter bombs and cleavers and things like that. The dragon lady's face had petrified into a dark, flinty mask. Are you quite finished? No, but I'm working up to it. I'm still wondering about the final break with Wu. Why did he come on so hard against both you and me, even before I promised to kill him? It wouldn't be that you signaled to him in some way that I was coming after him before you skedaddle to Paris. Worst case, I would delay him, and possibly the investigation of my murder would bring some unwanted attention from the San Francisco police. In the best case and I won't flatter myself into thinking you believed it was anything more than a long shot, I would come out on top, saving you millions of dollars and eliminating the one person who had evidence against you. None of it's true. You can't prove any of it. Those are two different things. I crossed a leg over my knee and looked down at my scuffed wingtip. I'm not even going to try to prove it, but you better hope that the men from Wu's gang, the San Francisco police have in custody, don't talk, or don't know anything to tell. We stared at each other across the desk. Then she smiled. It was a queer, stiff smile like a crack in an ice cube. Leave my office, Mr. Reardon, and don't come back. I stood without saying anything and opened the door. I heard her pick up the phone and spit rapid-fired Chinese into it. I went into the reception area. Lisa stared at her desk as she held her own phone to her ear. She hung up without saying anything. We still on for dinner then? I asked. She looked up at me, and the eyes that met mine were as cold and opaque as obsidian. Sai guilao. The ugly words seemed to linger, to hover around us like blood in the water. I said, I guess that yoga mat has sailed. I turned and walked to the elevator. The few moments I spent waiting for it were long and uncomfortable, but I felt fine by the time I got off on the ground floor. Chow broke all ties with the dragon lady, moved to the center politically, and won the January election. His first act was to throw out all existing bids to develop Hunter's Point and establish a new commission to solicit and evaluate proposals. The bid from the Dragon Lady's firm, Basis Construction, was not resubmitted. Ralph Wood and Arthur Calder both went to jail, Wood drawing a life sentence for his conviction on conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in the death of the Wilmots. Maurice Salise won approval from the Planning Commission to develop senior housing on the property where his mother's bakery had stood for 30 years. She now resides in one of the units. Cassia's mom got a divorce from her stepdad. Cassia caught a greyhound back to Reno, where she enrolled in a local junior college. She sent a postcard to tell me she was majoring in philosophy, with a specialization in 19th century Russian nihilists. Gretchen made a full recovery and returned to work as my secretary. The first day back, she announced her engagement to Dennis Drent. Chris and his engineer friend went on an all-gay cruise to Spain, Italy, and the Greek Isles. He defrayed expenses by performing, as Cassandra, in the ship's popular show-tune review. On a slow boat to China was his opening number. I sent one more text message to Red, asking him to meet me on a particular evening at the How Now Bar in South City. When he showed up, I bought him a beer beat him two out of three games on the junior Pac-Man, and gave him $20,000 in cash of the Dragon Lady's money. I told him my largesse did not extend to giving him a free pass for future ATM thefts, but there haven't been any more in San Francisco, and I never collected the Bay Area Bankers Association reward. You have been listening to Runoff, a book hard-boiled great James Crumley described as a smart, funny, spooky, often touching, always entertaining romp. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.